How's it hanging, ladies and folks? I'm Chris R.R. Bowzo, and this is Chris Does Scald. Scald was a serialized fantasy narrative written and performed by Aubrey Sitterson. And for a time, it was the only story that matters. The only weekly, serialized, sword and sorcery podcast in all the Sundered Worlds for 160 straight weeks. Think about that. From March 2015 to April 2018, over three years, Aubrey dropped a brand new episode every single Tuesday morning without fail and did it all in one single flawless take. This is seriously one of the most underrated podcasts ever to be found. And so, as homage and as tribute, I stand before you today, ready to recite the very words that molded me into the person I am now. This is Chris Does Scald. He sat at his desk, scowling. His brow knitted as he stared ahead at the blank page. And as he did, it stared back, mocking him, laughing at his inability to fill it, his failure to do the work that he needed to do, his failure to do the work that he told himself he wanted to do, but despite that fact, simply would not come. He brushed back his hair pushing those long, tangled curls out of his face, pushing them back not because they impeded him, not because they hindered his non-existent progress, but rather because it was something to do. It was anything to do. It was a distraction, a momentary respite from the agony of inaction, the torture of being unable to force himself to do what he knew he should. He was surrounded by them, Surrounded by distractions, some foisted upon him, unavoidable. The cries and requests and demands and the needs of those in his life. But they were easily managed, easily tended to, or, on occasion, ignored, set aside until a more convenient time. No, the real problem, the real distractions, they were those that he had created for himself. Those that he set up under the auspices of facilitating his work, of drawing what he needed to be done out of him, of forcing it out onto the page. He arched his back, stretching his taut muscles, letting the music wash over him. Heavy, oppressive rhythms, more dirge than song, music that he claimed receded into the background, that he claimed helped him work, helped him write, helped him create. He claimed. But the truth was something else. The truth was that the music made no difference. He could block that heavy, fuzzy dirge out as easily as any other tune. Or, conversely, he could lose himself in it, as he did then, closing his eyes as he stretched his neck back and forth slowly. As he stretched his neck, sore from the unnatural position he so frequently took, hunched over his desk, his tired, bored eyes opened and looked around the room, looked at the art on the walls meant to inspire him, and at the slowly burning candles intended to conjure up some creative spirit, a muse meant to evoke some inspirational deity who would come to him and simply give him what he needed, who would make his work easy, 
make that creative birth a painless one. He let his mind wander as he thought about the entity he would summon, thought of how it would appear to him. Could he see it? Would he want to see it? Could his mind possibly comprehend a being of such purity, a deity that existed in a form deeper and more profound than any corporeal body? He fantasized about it. He lusted after it. He ached for his work to be done, for it to have been done. He longed for any way that he could do what he wanted, to do what he needed to do, without doing the hard, back-breaking, soul-shaking work that it required. Uninspired, unmoved, he turned back to his work, to the work that he ached to do but dreaded beginning. He turned back to that empty page on the glowing screen. He knew what was meant to go there. It was in his head, and it was somewhere deeper. It was buried within him. The story had taken root, and it had blossomed. It had be even begun to bear fruits, strange, acidic fruits that tasted sweet on his tongue, but that once swallowed, once devoured, ate away at his stomach. He leaned forward once again, hunching himself over his desk, staring at the glowing screen, hoping that it would hypnotize him, that it would allow him to enter a trance, a fugue state in which it would be easy, it would be simple, it would be painless to do what he needed to do, to do what he reminded himself he wanted to do, what he claimed he wanted to do, what he would do if he was not, he reminded himself, so lazy, so cowardly, so craven. He ran his fingers over the keys, the simple instrument with which he could conjure up worlds, with which he could summon armies and monsters and send them crashing headlong into one another. He had done it before, and now, attempting to motivate himself, he would do it again. He knew he would. He had to. He wanted to. But it was just so hard. He abandoned the keys once again, abandoned his peerless tool of creation, and he placed his elbows on the desk. He lowered his head, pressing the heels of his palms against his eyelids, applying pressure just enough that the colors came to him. Bright and vivid, but dark and unknowable, they exploded behind his eyelids, bringing an intangible joy, an otherworldly hope to the darkness into which he had plunged himself. He began to breathe heavily, not because there was anything wrong, nothing wrong that he couldn't avoid, no ailment that he himself couldn't solve. His chest rose and fell, quicker and quicker. Nerves, panic, anxiety. He let out a sardonic laugh because he knew who was to blame, knew exactly who was to blame. Himself. He only had himself to blame. Because all he had to do was that which he knew he should do, that which he needed to do, that which he wanted to do, and claimed that he wanted to do, that which he had done before and, God's willing, would do again. He felt the heartburn grow inside him, or he thought he did. He thought he felt it twist inside his gut, the effects of that strange fruit, the one that he had grown and cultivated, had brought forth into existence through an arcane botany. If he was racked by heartburn, if he was afflicted, if he was struck with illness, certainly he couldn't write, certainly he couldn't work, 
couldn't create, couldn't do his job, couldn't do what was needed to be done, what was he was meant to do, right? Wasn't that right? Didn't he need to be in the right state of mind to create worlds? Didn't his act of creation need to come from a place of ecstatic joy? Not one of begrudging obligation? Was this his excuse? Was this his way out? Was this a reason to give up work for the night? To leave it until the next day when, hopefully, inspiration would strike, would invigorate him? No. The answer, as always, was no. Because that phantom illness, that artificial panic, it was all his doing. It was all created by him. They were just more excuses. Just more reasons not to work. Not to do that which he knew he must. That which he wanted to do. Wanted to have done more than anything in that world. No. It was all on him. It was all his doing. The need to work. To write. To create. To do that which he wanted to do more than anything. And the ability to do it? It was his. It had always been his. And the choice to do it. The choice to push aside the distractions, the fear, the doubt, the cowardice. To put them aside and set about the work that he knew he needed to do? It was his choice. It had always been his choice. He didn't need anyone else to make his art. Didn't need those that had failed him, those that had gotten in his way, the false prophets that steered him down twisting, useless paths, the ones that gave him advice that he foolishly followed. He didn't need any of them. He didn't need anyone. He didn't need a glimmering psychopomp to guide him. He didn't need a glowing muse to fill him with inspiration. He didn't need anything but his desire, his all-consuming lust to see his will made manifest, to do what he wanted, to do what he needed to do. He had found his inspiration. He had found his drive. He had found it, not in the world, not in his distractions, not in some conjured up deity that could bless him with an eagerness to create, a willingness to work. No, he had found it where it had always been, where he had found it countless times before. He had found it in a place that, for reasons that were unclear to him, was always the last place he searched. He had found his inspiration, had found his drive, he and he had found it within himself, had found it waiting there, waiting for the final nudge, the final bit of fuel that would ignite in his very being, that would cause his engines of creation to burn and spin riotously. Fully inspired, fully driven, an unnatural, disconcerting smile crept across his face, one that twisted the edges of his mouth upward as his lips pulled back to reveal what was less an expression of joy and more a baring of teeth. A lustful display like that of a predator ready to feed. He tore his eyes open, ready to work, ready to launch himself into the act of creation that he had wasted far too much time running from. But when he opened his eyes... With his countenance giving over completely to that terrifying, threatening smile, he found another rictus grin staring right back at him. He gasped and began to stand, began to force himself up to his feet, and he stammered, fearfully, 
You! How? I don't... But before he could finish his thought, before he could even form a thought, before he could hammer those disparate words into a coherent whole, that smile, that terrifying rictus grin was barreling toward him, driven by a thick, powerful body, one that he recognized, one that made his blood run cold because he knew it so well, knew it intimately, a body that had been scorched and ravaged, a body covered in blue runes of eldritch power. Maul was home. He had arrived. He was finally there. Finally, in his world, the world that he would rule, the world that he would reclaim as his own, he was finally there, in the realm of men. But that world, it was not one he recognized. It was not what he had expected, not what he had wanted, had lusted after, had longed for. He had been ready for combat. He had been eager for struggle. He had been well prepared for strife. After all he had seen, after all he had suffered, he was ready to fight his way to the throne, to his throne, ready to water the earth with the blood of those who would oppose him, ready to crack bones and drink their marrow, ready to set fire to all of creation and to watch laughing as the smoke blotted out the sun. But upon his arrival, upon rematerializing there in the realm of men, after his trip across the sundered worlds, a trip facilitated by him, he had not found conflict. He had not found combat or struggle or strife. All he found was decadence and cowardice. There, in a cramped room, filled to bursting with books and clothing, with walls covered in a feet art, and with more belongings than a man, a real man, a man of worth and character and value, could ever need in a hundred lifetimes. Maul found himself confronted with unearned decadence, with a world made too precious, made ineffectual and pretentious. His world had been ruined, been made left to rot, had been made soft from lack of struggle, from lack of conflict, from lack of necessity, from want, from need, from true, all-consuming desire. He sat there, in Maul's world, in Maul's home, idly, doing nothing, accomplishing nothing, surrounded by his books and his machines, surrounded by wishes and daydreams, and producing nothing, nothing of value, accomplishing nothing, nothing of value. He sat there, an affront to that very realm and its impossible possibilities, an affront to its throne, an affront to its ruler, the one true king of men, the one true king of flames and ashes, King Maul. What kind of man was this before him? What kind of sad excuse for the iron that composed a true man, for the fearlessness that filled a man of action, a man of cause, a man of needs, desires, and demands? What kind of shameful display was this before him? What kind of man was this meant to be? 
Maul smiled, allowed that rictus grin to retake its place upon his visage as he decided upon the answer. What type of man is this? One that did not deserve to draw breath in Maul's world. No sooner had the man, that coward, that feckless waste of flesh, no sooner had he opened his glassy, terrified eyes, no sooner had he been stricken by the fear that lie at the core of him, that catalyzed his every motion, his every thought, his every hope and desire, no sooner had he begun to scramble, confused and terrified to his feet, than Maul was upon him. He could have killed him in any number of ways. His cudgel, his fists, even that long, twisting alabaster horn. The one that he felt growing warm against his chest where it hung from that simple leather strap. But none of them felt right for that coward, that fool, that worthless chaff of humanity, that despicably a feed excuse for a man. A man that, despite his worthlessness, despite his shameful, pointless existence, possessed something that Maul recognized. Possessed something that Maul knew, knew intimately. He had an anger and a rage and a hatred at his very core. The same anger and rage and hatred that drove Maul, but that had failed to motivate, failed to inspire this lazy, craven fool. That drive, that inspiration, that hungry, cathartic flame was wasted on one such as him. And once again, Maul found himself offended, found himself infuriated by this callous affront. So... As he charged at the man, the one that stammered as he scrambled to his feet, as Maul barreled toward him, he decided that he would not bludgeon, would not punch, would not stab this cowardly imbecile. No, though worthless, there was still something of value within him. The flame of chaos burned brightly inside of him, and Maul knew exactly what he would do with it. He would devour it. He seized the man, grabbed his weak, fleshy arms, and dug his fire-hardened fingers into them. And as the man screamed, as he squealed like a pig dragged off to slaughter, Maul unhinged his jaw. He stretched his mouth open wide like some horrible snake, and he gobbled up that squirming, ineffectual man, swallowing him whole. The dying man writhed inside his belly, his arms and legs flailing outward, now finally fully animated, fully driven, fully motivated, fully inspired by the fire within them, by that cleansing blaze. The arms and the legs lashed out faster and faster, spinning inside of the brute, twirling and revolving as they were ground up by the savage's gut, until one became two, over and over and over again, and the spinning flame in the destroyer's gut had not four arms, but eight. Pleased with his work, Pleased with the death that he dealt so quickly, so efficiently, Maul unleashed a vicious backswing, smashing his cudgel into that glowing screen, sending it flying across the room, colliding with the wall, where it exploded in a shower of sparks and shards. 
He turned to the door, the flimsy white door that stood between him and the rest of the world, the rest of his world. But before he could kick it down, before he could burst through that thin, insufficient wood, the door opened, admitting a panic-stricken woman into the room, one that, upon seeing that hulking destroyer standing before her, began screaming and screeching. Not wishing to waste any more time, not wishing to waste another moment, Maul grabbed the woman's face and he shoved her to the floor. Let her stay there and cry upon the floor because Maul, Maul had work to do. Work that he had to do. Work that he wanted to do. Work that after all this time, after a lifetime of agony, of denial, of having what was rightfully his withheld from him. Work that he was dying to do. He stormed through the next room, as crowded and cramped and filled with detritus as the last, and he charged toward the door. But this time, the door did not open itself. That portal did not admit another screeching woman. No, this time there was nothing to stop him from barreling into it, from driving his shoulder into the door, from forcing the flimsy wood off its hinges, from bursting forth into the open, into the outside world, into his world, into the world that he would see made his or he would see burn as punishment. He stood there in the light, Shielding his one good eye from that bright, shining yellow sun. The one that stared angrily down at him. That shone so brightly, so roughly that he felt it prick his skin. Felt the runes move faster and more frantically. More dangerously and more demandingly with its light. And when his eye adjusted, when his one working pupil shrank so as to not let in so much of that rejuvenating light, Maul was aghast at what confronted him. It was a city. A massive, sprawling, towering city. A city that put even Ravenna to shame. A city of steel and stone and machines that covered the streets like massive insects. Their metal, their metal carapaces concealing their inner workings. The ones that ground and churned so as to prevent the city's inhabitants. Its soft, cowardly inhabitants. Its feckless, feet inhabitants to prevent them from dirtying their hands, from forming calluses, from doing what they should do, what they must do, what they were too scared, too craven, too lazy to actually do. Maul began to breathe heavily. He felt panic, felt anxiety, felt nausea take hold in the pit of his stomach and start to crawl up into his chest felt a scorching heartburn boiling beneath his solar plexus. This world, his world, it had been ruined. It had been sullied. It had been tainted and defiled. In his absence, the fruits of this world had gone to rot. The streets had filled with filth, and the flies circled and the maggots crawled. His world had been tainted had been ruined, and the throne that sat at its head, his throne, had been defiled, had been befouled, had been blighted. As he stood there, clenching his teeth, flexing his muscles, he felt the panic change, felt the anxiety morph, felt the nausea give way to something else. Hatred. It was the anger, 
It was the rage that had always fueled him, had always empowered him to do what needed to be done. His world had been corrupted, but still, it was his. It was his world and no one else's. It was his birthright and he had killed and slaughtered and bled and wept and cried and suffered too much to forsake it, to simply give it up, to abandon the throne that still waited for him. No, he was the one true king of men. He was the one true king of flames and ashes. And there was only one thing that could cleanse that world, that could wash away the filth that crowded his realm, could scare away whatever usurper sat upon his throne, could cast down whatever tyrant had seized Maul's rightful place. There was only one thing to be done. There was only one thing that could be done. Only one thing that Maul wanted, more than anything to do. So he raised his cudgel and he sent it plummeting down to the earth. Sent it smashing into the ground, cracking the poured, unnaturally flat stone that covered the world as far as he could see. He brought the cudgel down again and again. Like a man possessed, he beat the earth. He punished the world that had fallen apart in his absence. And as he did, with every single downward stroke of his cudgel, the world shifted and roiled in response. The world, in obedience of his master, of its rightful king, it spasmed and moved, and it rose up beneath Maul's feet. And that about does it for Chris Does Scald. As always, thanks for tuning in to me reading some other guy's story for a half hour. If you dug this mini-series of mine, then you'll be glad to know that there are 156 more episodes where that came from, just waiting to be enjoyed. The Scald Podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, Podomatic, and wherever else you get your podcasts. For more of Aubrey's work, get yourself over to AubreyCitterson.com for links to everything. And for more of my work, subscribe to The Wizard Scroll on your podcasting platform of choice, and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Peep the links in the description for all that good stuff. Finally, a quick status update for my flagship series, The Wizard Scroll. I've decided to release the remaining episodes of Season 2 in three batches of four, meaning that once Episodes 207 through 210 are fully written, I can finally get started on recording, editing, and all the other stuff that comes with episode production. And when those four are released, I'll go back into hiatus until the next four are ready to go, and so on and so forth. I appreciate your patience and look forward to sharing more information with y'all at a later date. But for now, thanks for listening.